This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What a joy it is for us at our Where Are They Now episode. This time we visit with Dwayne Murphy, six-time gold glover with the Athletics, part of one of the greatest outfields Really, the history of baseball, spent 10 of his 12 years in the big leagues with the Athletics, broke in with the A's in 1978, and uh, spent a lot of time playing, then went into coaching and now retired and living in the Valley of the Sun in Chandler, Arizona, where he plays a little bit of golf. So, uh, Murph, I know you're out of the game. You've been for a couple of years. How have you enjoyed just kind of watching from afar uh, the sport that you love so much? Well, I've been in it for a lot of years, so I'm really enjoying it the time off the time away from the game and really don't keep up with the game. I just, I'll watch a game every now and then, but uh, enjoy myself, enjoy my grandkids. Are they all in Arizona? Uh, Four of the six live in Arizona. Two are still up in San Ramon area. That's awesome. I mean, when, when we look back on your career, I mean, the gold gloves jump off the page. You have more gold gloves in the 1980s than any other position player in the American League. I mean, that speaks volumes to, to playing the position at such the highest level. Can you take me back to the early days before you became a professional player, even when you were a high school football star, and the thoughts about it, maybe how that helped you uh, put together your body, put together your thoughts about how you could use the football uh, in a way to help you as a prime defender all those years in the big leagues. I tell you, I played all three sports in high school. Uh, and I think they all helped, especially football and the drills. I was a defensive back and you, you backpedal a lot, you turn and go. And I really thought that was a big factor helping me out in the outfield. And I, I was drafted as a shortstop. And uh, I didn't stay there very long, maybe a week at the most. They moved me to the outfield, and I'd never played outfield before. And I couldn't judge a ball. I really struggled out there and uh, until uh, Billy North made a huge difference in, in my career. He just told me one or two little things to do, and it's just like it just popped. And after that, it was just golden. I mean, everything, everything was easy. Wade Murphy joining us in our Where Are They Now segment. You got to the big leagues at age 23 in 1978. How nervous were you? Oh, my first game was in Anaheim. We're uh, just driving up to the stadium to see in the big ballpark. Uh, and the only bad news is is uh, Nolan Ryan was pitching. So, and he was just – he struck out everybody. My first year, I mostly was a fourth outfielder. Usually went in late in the game through Mitchell Page and uh, – uh, but that for my first year, I didn't start until 79 in center field. Did uh, Nolan give you a bow tie? Uh, my first at bat was against Nolan, and I he did not strike me out. I hit a line drive to center. I was the happiest guy in the ballpark because he was striking everybody else out, <laughs> but he didn't strike me out. 
Did he see you again? And did you face him again? Because he remembers stuff like that, you know. Uh, yeah, I did. And I, I, I couldn't tell you how many times, but uh, uh, he's, I'm sure he got me. But uh, that, it was just that one person, my first in bat, I will remember forever. So your third year of the big leagues when you won the first of six straight gold gloves uh, in 1980. Uh, how did how did your career, how did your confidence grow as you got to that point and then began that stretch of incredible defense with yourself, uh, Tony and right and uh, and Ricky and left? Well, I, I was I was happy that they made me the center field because I struggled again on the corners and I felt more comfortable in center field. And when they, when they, uh, you know, and all three of the, all, all three of us could have played center field, and uh, I, fortunately, I got the chance to play center. And I told those guys, I'm a ball hog, so get out of my way. If I get to it, I'm gonna call it. And we used to have fun with it all the time. And uh, Tony used to yell at me when I'm catching the ball. Or Ricky would say something because I used to call him off all the time, and he used to piss him off. What was the camaraderie like? Because, you know, as, as years went on, we learned on the pitching side, let's say with the Atlanta Braves and how uh, Glavin and Smoltz and Maddox all kind of fed off each other, try to one-up each other. When you're a, a, a collective unit like you guys were, you mentioned you want to get the ball. They did too, you know, in a positive way, in, in a fun way. What was that like, this, that togetherness that that group had? I'll tell you what, it made it easier for the pitchers to throw strikes because uh, when you – when you have a good defense behind you, I'm not just talking in the outfield, but even in the middle and the pitchers have an app to throw more strikes. When uh, the defense is poor behind them, now they try to strike everybody out. So uh, for our pitching staff, I really think it really helped a lot. Uh, I know that we led the league in, in put outs in the outfield because anything hit out that way, uh, it had a chance of being caught, and me and Ricky and Tony, we were, we were. We, I mean, we were communicated very well. We moved the hitters. We just didn't stand in one spot and play. Our pitchers were a big part of how they were going to pitch and we, how we were going to play them. And there was always moving and talking out there, and uh, we had a good time. Now, Murph, uh, in, in spring training 2022, uh, the A's of a new acquisition, Christian Pache, came over from the Atlanta Braves. And a new manager, Mark Kotze, was talking about his defense uh, in a way he said he reminds him of Andrew Jones because of playing shallow. And you mentioned that as well earlier. Is that a, is that a gambling mentality? Is that a, just a, a trust in the ability to go back on the ball? Because, as you know, more guys will play deep as opposed to guys that'll play in and dare you to hit it over their hit it over their heads. So that that's where that football and basketball thing I really thought really helped me as far as turning and going. And I used to put my head down and just run. And I felt more comfortable playing shallow. I always felt I could take the hits away. I had Ricky and uh, my police, my corner outfielders take the deeper gaps and I will try to take the bloopers and the the line drives. So there was a game plan to it. It just wasn't out there doing it. I just felt very comfortable, shallow. Uh, I knew I could go back on the ball. And and I think it, it really paid off as far as taking hits away. In your time w with the athletics, 
Murph, you played for seven different managers. The one time you got to the postseason was with Billy Martin in the uh, strike-shortened year of, of 1981. What was all that like? You know, the season stopping, the strike in the middle, restarting the season 50 or so days later and splitting it up in halves and getting a chance to get to the postseason. But playing, you know, especially for a guy uh, as Firebrand and the local kid like Billy Martin. Well, I tell you, I enjoyed playing for Billy. I know uh, a lot of players had a hard time dealing with Billy, but I, I thought Billy taught me a lot how to play the game. And uh, it, it was tough when you had a different manager all the time. Um, playing in the postseason, there was nothing like it. I, I, I got to the World Series with the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks and as a coach, and I'm just sitting in the dugout of just wishing to I would have had that opportunity because there's nothing like the World Series. Uh, people always ask players who eventually become coaches or managers trying to uh, explain that that feeling, that sense. And every time you ask a coach about it, that experience like you did in 2001, and Bob Melvin was on that staff, Bob Brenly was uh, the manager of the Diamondbacks that year when you – Beat the uh, the Yankees after 9/11. So much emotion involved in there. They all say, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Yes, it's it's a great feeling to be a part of uh, you know being the last team standing. But there's nothing like that. Uh, even though it's it's exhilarating as a coach, there's nothing like it as a player. Exactly. I mean, in, in that World Series, it went to the ninth inning of the seventh game when it was determined the winner, and that's how tough of a series it was. And because of 9-11, you knew the whole world was watching. And it, it, was, it was probably one of the most unbelievable series I've ever saw. And uh, I was just glad to be a part of it. I just wish I could have been on that field. That's all. But when, when you saw the infield play in for Gonzo and Mariano on, on the mound, and we all know that he's a, he had the most devastating one-pitch repertoire in the history of the game, did you sense that maybe there was you know, that possibility does exist that if you get jammed, that maybe they can't get back on that ball? As it turns out, great history was made in uh, in Arizona that night. Well, I'll be honest. Council was uh, up before him, and I was hoping he got a hit because I know Gonzo struggled with Rivera. I mean, he just threw that cutter inside and made him up all the time. And uh, Council got hit. And so loaded the bases, and <laughs> I don't know what I thought about Gonzo at that time. I just knew he struggled big time with him, and I really never thought about the infield being in. I always think, always been that guy that there's no one way to play this game, and managers have gut feelings like everybody else, and sometimes they pull them in, sometimes they leave them back, and they happen to pull them in and just jam the heck out of them. And uh, we won the game. I mean, it, it was it was really truly exciting. Wayne Murphy joining us in our "Where Are They Now?" segment, and and Murphy, you you had a history of as you made catch after catch and won Gold Glove after Gold Glove. You'd lose your cap, you know, making these great plays, uh, going back or gap to gap, whatever the case might be. How did that come about? Did it, did it always just kind of naturally happen, or yeah, just explain to me how it always seemed like a part of the Dwayne Murphy. Uh, persona was making the play and not having the cap on at the same time. No, we were in uh, Bakersfield in A-ball. 
And then we're in ninth inning. There was a base hit to center field, and I had to throw the guy out. And I threw it, and my hat came off, and the ball went in the hat and stayed in the hat. And the hat went about 20 feet forward. And from that day forward, I went there, got a small hat, and made sure my hat fell off. So that was the most embarrassing moment for me. That, that's and that's so incredible. I, well, I, wanted, I, I wanted the hat to fall off when I took off running. It, it didn't that? matter. I didn't just so it got out of my way. Like I said, it, it didn't want it to happen again. And somehow the hat and, hat and me just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the hat thing, so I made sure it fell off. And if I had to turn back around, I didn't care how far I had to go back to go get it. When, when you were winning gold gloves in the 80s and there were other guys in the out in various outfields around the league, uh, you know, Fred Lynn, a Dave Winfield, a Kirby Puckett, even Gary Pettis there for a while near near the end. How did how did you view your game uh, against these other great outfielders? Oh uh, well, defensively in center, uh, I don't know. I I, th- I thought uh, I took very much. I took very a lot of pride in my outfield. So to me, I I, I felt that I had the niche on them. I, I just felt I was better than them in center field, and I take nothing away because all those guys were extremely good outfielders. But it was just the confidence factor I had out there. And uh, it actually, it was honor to play with those guys. I mean, it, it was fun to watch. I, I used to watch them play. Uh, I used to watch them see what they did in the outfield. It wasn't me just nothing I, I used to try to learn any bit I could on how to play the outfield. And I used to watch those guys. So it was exciting watching those guys play that outfield. Murph, you mentioned coaching with Arizona. Um, you also coached with the Rangers, spent some time with Toronto as well on the major league level as their hitting coach. What attracted you to staying in the game and, and trying to impart some of your wisdom and your knowledge as a coach? Well, I really enjoyed working with the players. Uh, uh, I had some good success in uh, Arizona and Toronto. Uh, I was a hitting coach, and uh, guys like uh, Batista and Eddie Carnacion and Adam Lynn and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't about all mechanics. Uh, it was about working their brain when they were up at the plate, have an idea of what they wanted, and they fed into it. And, uh, they they had successful years and. So, and even going back to the minor leagues, I enjoyed working with players. And that's when I had a lot of fun just watching these guys get better and, and them coming up and asking you questions, how to do things. And, uh, you know, you're just trying to, you're trying to teach them everything you can to make them better and give them opportunity to get to the big leagues. It weren't, you weren't that far removed as a player to be, you know, on the other side, on the coaching side, and yet there's been so much conversation about how do you, how do you coach the the modern player, today's player, who who may have different methods, certainly different technology now, and uh, a lot of opportunities to uh, use technology as opposed to, like you say, simplifying, uh, being in the box and being confident and and trusting yourself as a player at that level. How did you put those two things together? How did you connect with, with the younger, modern player? Uh, there was times it, it could be a little difficult because most of them are very, they're very mechanical. They're into the mechanics. Uh, they got out, so something must be wrong. And, and I just try to convince them, you know, in this game, uh, 
if you're talking 100 at bats, you're getting out 70 times and you're great. And you're, but they're trying to fix every out. And you're going to get out. And sometimes players have a hard time why they got out. You just think that by making these adjustments, and I just think that today's players are always trying to make adjustments. If it was the same pitcher, I could understand it, but there's different pitchers, different arms, different slots, and everybody throws different. So it can't always be mechanical. Uh, you got to understand that you're going to get out in this game. And, and, and that's where I think that uh, the big difference was today's player and before. When I, Murph, when I look at your numbers, the batting average may not be that high, but the on-base percentage was. You were uh, an early proponent of understanding the important thing was the ability to get on base. While it's sure you wanted hits and kept on, that was always the goal. You also understood the importance of keeping the line moving. How is that? How were you able to extend that knowledge and, and that teaching point to, to the players that you coached? Well, I used to walk a lot. And I didn't go up there to walk. It's just that I was fortunate to have a good eye. And, you know, if you're a free swinger, you, you don't have a good eye. So to me, you got to set your lineups. It's not just banging, everybody banging. Guys got to get on base. I don't care if it's yesterday's game or today's game. You don't win unless you score runs. And the only way to score runs is get on base. And it's not always about the long ball or the, 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 the double. You need guys on base to get those guys with the, that can hit those doubles and homers to score runs. Think about Ricky. I used to think Ricky was the best player in baseball ever. But he was that guy. He walked 100 times. He got on base. He had a great eye. He's still base. And we created runs. Uh, yeah, I was only a 250 hitter, but I scored a lot of runs, and that's how you win games. Can you give me a peek behind the curtain, batting behind Ricky, some some stories, and you know he broke the record, the single season record. You're batting behind him. You're giving him an opportunity, seeing a lot of pitches. Well, what was that like on a daily basis? And there had to be so many uh, fun and interesting things that were happening all those times together with Ricky Henderson. Uh, Ricky was the best. Uh, Ricky, I enjoyed playing with Ricky. Uh, I wanted Ricky to steal a base. It, it only helped me. It put him in scoring position to try to, try to knock him in. So uh, I wasn't the one that was upset because I had I was taking pitches. I many times Ricky would tell me to swing, but I was giving Ricky his opportunity to steal bases. A lot of times he ain't walking, end up being a triple. He'd go to second, go to third, and get him in. So. I, I just seen it as an advantage and a plus. And uh, I, I love playing with that guy. The guy was exciting offensively, defensively, and every part of the game. Did you guys have a sign or just a look at each other to know that, hey, this is what I'm, this is what I'm sensing and I might be running on this pitch and you can help me out? Yes, we had signs. Uh, Ricky was great on the bases. He'd, he'd, he'd come off uh, – first base and come in the dugout and tell you, hey, look for this, this guy, the way you guys, uh, you can read the keys off the picture. Uh, I mean, Ricky just didn't steal. Ricky had an idea when he went out to steal. He used to read pictures with the best of them and had an idea what they did. And that's why he got those great jumps. He just didn't do it on all on his speed. That dude used to get tremendous jumps. So 
you learn a lot from Ricky. Ricky was fun to play with. And uh, I give him a, you know, he, he very helpful in my career. At the, at the end of your time with the athletics, uh, one of the guys that was your, was your manager was Tony LaRussa. And he played for the A's as a teenager, and he had just been let go by the White Sox and, and then came over to the, uh, to the Oakland A's. What do you remember about uh, Tony coming back to the A's and, and being the manager? Uh, well, t- Tony had a special career as a manager. Uh, uh, he, wanted, he just wanted us to play different than the way we played as far as uh, – I think that's when the computers and uh, how are we going to play guys. And it was, it was a tough at the beginning because I was that guy that read pictures and read swings. And I didn't really go too much with a guy would hit the ball because I thought it was more important if our pitchers can put the ball where they are and, and you play to the, the strength of the pitcher or wherever you think the hitter's going to hit would work out. And, there was there was there was that little disagreement there, but besides that, I, I enjoyed playing with Tony. Murph, let me let me step aside. We're visiting with Dwayne Murphy. We've talked a lot about baseball, but uh, you have a an affinity for music. How did all that come together? Oh, tinkering. Uh, when I when I was young, I always wanted to play the saxophone. Couldn't afford to get one. Ended up playing the drums in school. And so uh, as, as I got older, I went and got my saxophone. I got a bass and I just tinkered with music. Heck, I had to listen to a song 20 times before I learned it. So I never could read music. Uh, it's just something I tinkered with and had a good time doing. Did you, didn't you produce a, a record or two for somebody along the way? No, no, no. I uh, help uh, MC Hammer get started. Okay. Tell me uh, that me, story. Me and Michael Dick- uh, Mike and Dave, Michael Davis and myself uh, funded Hammer to get going, and Hammer was very successful, and it was enjoyable to watch. And and uh, that guy had nothing else to do but just uh, get his career going, and and just watching that young kid become somebody. Because when I first met him, he was the bad boy in Oakland, and and or or he was up top talking to Charlie Finley. And that's when I first met Hammer. He was a young little kid, and and he and he he, he really turned out to be somebody. You mentioned at the top about the, the enjoyment you have of spending time with all the grandkids in the Phoenix area, then back up in the East Bay. I know you like to play golf, and uh, that the uh, the competition I'm sure is still there. The the but the, just the chance to have you know the 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 slow walk and stories and relaxing times and just really a chance to kind of step back and, and appreciate where you are. How, how much do you enjoy the game? Uh, the game of golf? Yeah. The game of golf. Oh, uh, Oh, I love golf. I play, I, I practice a lot. I play a lot. Uh, I play with shooty. I play with Michael Davis. Uh, and we have some really good games, a lot of fun. And, uh, I'm always working on my game, so, but I practice a lot at it. I play as much as I can, and I'm here in Arizona, golf capital of the world, so I'm always out at different courses and having a lot of fun. How do you you view your original organization now from afar? You've seen, you know, them winning some World Series. You see them coming close at times. Uh, 
a playoff contender, then suddenly things certainly have changed in 2022. But this franchise has had an awful lot of success, a lot of great colorful characters like yourself and that great outfield with with Ricky and Tony and so many others with great pitching over the years. And and while the the Coliseum uh, is certainly past its due date, there are so many uh, memories still there at the Coliseum. How, How do you view how do you view the Oakland organization? Your history well, I there. The I think the organization has done well. Uh, they seem to, they may not win the big game, but they seem to put themselves in a position to at least make the playoffs and make a run at it. And um, I mean, that, that, that Coliseum is probably the toughest place to play baseball. The, the foul lines, you pop a ball up, you're out. So, I mean, it's, the ball didn't carry at night. And it, it's a tough ballpark. But that team, that's, this organization finds a way least compete. Uh, I, I, you always feel proud of the A's. You know, they only draw about nine, ten thousand 10,000 fans a game. But I tell you what, they're loyal fans. Uh, they're loud fans for 10,000. And other stadiums have 30,000 in there. But... There's nothing to me like playing in the open Coliseum. I'm that definitely that Coliseum has passed its days, but it, it was a fun stadium to play in. Um, and I think the, a, the A's will continue to do what they're doing for some reason. Somehow they'll pick up players and those players will put years together and compete. And that's, that's all you can ask for. A couple more questions, Murph. For, I know you maybe not be uh, as intent watching the game as you once were for, as a player and then certainly as a coach, but are there some players that are in today's game that do catch your attention, whether it's the flair, whether it's uh, what they can do defensively, which was you know, so strong of, uh, in your game, or just watching a, an exciting player, their name or two that come to mind there? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, there's a, there's quite a few guys. I mean, uh, Trout and you know all all these guys. They are they're, they're exciting to watch. I, I take nothing away from them, and I think I think they play exceptionally good baseball. Um, I I just kind of stopped watching the game. Is all. It's it's not that I dislike the game or anything else like that. I just I've been in it for so long. I just I, when the playoffs come, I watch the game. That's 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 all I can say. And then let, let's close with this because we we opened with you were part of arguably one of the greatest outfields in the history of the sport, not just for the athletics but baseball in general. For yourself and Ricky and Tony, what does that mean to Dwayne Murphy that you are that you are a, 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 an integral part of what was a, a dynamic outfield and among the best for anybody in the history of the game. Oh, that's still number one in my mind. I, I like I said, I take super pride in my out, my outfield, my defense, uh, base running, and and I have them displayed. And my, my grandson was it. He said, "Grandpa, you, you were the, one of the best outfielders there were," and and it just you know it's little things like that that gives you that feeling because. Uh, uh, I'm proud of those six gold gloves. I wish I could have got seven, but I am definitely proud of those gloves. 
Murph, I always appreciate the time. I, I always look forward to w when there might be an opportunity just to kind of cross paths and see your smile and, and hearing all these great stories again today, maybe on a golf course at some point next off season in uh, Phoenix, I'll tee it up with you and have some fun. I, I really appreciate the time. And, and thanks for uh, reliving all those great moments with us. I'd love to play golf, Vinny. And thanks a lot. Wayne Murphy joining us on this edition of where are they now? This has been a presentation of the Oakland athletics.